Well, today we're wrapping up our series on Psalm 23, a psalm that is all about stress-free living. And there is no one better qualified to write a psalm about stress-free living than David. David was a man who was hunted by a king who wanted to kill him. David was a man who was betrayed by his own son. David was a man who knew what it was to go into battle. He knew what it was to govern a nation. He knew what it was to experience loss. And yet David could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, as I walk through life, I'm able to walk through life stress-free. Now, it's amazing to me how God drafted this psalm in such a way that the first verse and the last verse tie everything together. It begins with the relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. And then becomes the reality. I shall not want. In verses 2 through 5, we discover why David doesn't want. We discover how the good shepherd is providing for his sheep. How the good shepherd is protecting his sheep. How the good shepherd is caring for his sheep. But as we move into verse 6... It is as if David is wrapping up this verse and he's telling us about the present reality that we can have as we walk through life with the Good Shepherd. But he also tells us about our future hope, the hope that we have because of the Good Shepherd. And David tells us in this verse that if we know the Good Shepherd, we can walk through this life stress-free and when we come to the end of this life and we face death, we can face death stress-free. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a great hope to me. A hope that tells me that no matter what happens in this life, I don't have to be stressed out. I can live life without stress. And, and he tells me that, that as I face death, as I prepare to breathe my last breath, I don't have to get stressed out over that because I know that something good is awaiting me. Now listen to what David says in verse 6. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now in that verse, David teaches us not only about our present reality, but our future hope. And he does that by telling us three truths that will help us face the future confidently. Our future as we're walking through life and our future as we face death. And I want you to know this morning that regardless of where you are, where you find yourself in life's journey, if you really begin to flesh out these three truths in your life, you don't have to stress anymore. Now, here's truth number one. God's goodness is watching over me. If I want to live stress-free in this life, I need to come to the reality that God's goodness is watching over me. Listen to what it says in verse 6. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Now, what does that mean? First of all, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that good things will always happen to me. We know that's not true. We know that bad things happen in this life. We know that bad things happen to good people. Think about Job. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man. He was blameless in his day. 
But in a matter of days, Job lost almost everything that was important to him. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. All in a matter of days. All of this happened to Job, even though he was a righteous man, even though he was a blameless man. Think about Joseph. Joseph was a a young man who was given a dream, a vision by God, a dream that one day he would would be the, the, the one who would lead his people into freedom. He would one day save his people. Well, you know the story of Job, Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Here was a young man who was given a dream by God, and yet he was sold into slavery and stayed in slavery for years. What about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul gave his life to Jesus, and that's when his life, in, in many ways, began to fall apart. He was persecuted. He was tortured. The Bible says that he was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips. Many times he went without food. Many times he went without shelter. The Bible says that he was put in prison. The Bible says that he was shipwrecked. And and all of that happened when he became a Christ follower. So you need to understand that just because you become a follower of Christ doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. It's oftentimes when you become a follower of Christ that bad things begin to happen. But notice what it says. It doesn't say good things will happen to me. It says good things will follow me. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. I can expect that no matter what happens to me, God will somehow, God will some way bring good out of what happens. It will either be for my good It will be for the good of others, or it will be good for the good of the kingdom of God. Um, David is not saying that, that everything that happens is good. He is telling us that good will follow everything that happens. Good things will come out of whatever happens. Even the bad, even the difficult, and even the evil. God promises that good will follow everything. I love the promise In Romans chapter 8, listen to what it says in the Living Bible. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good. We know that all, that everything that happens to us is working for our good if, if we love God and are fitting into his plans. You see, this promise isn't for everyone. All things don't work out for the good of those for everyone. This promise is only for those who are believers, only for those who have been transformed by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says that every difficulty, every dilemma, every defeat, every disaster in life isn't good. But he says that every one of those things will ultimately bring about good. Now I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me. David is not saying that everything that happens in our life will feel good. David is not saying that everything that happens in our life will seem good. But what David is saying is everything that happens in our life in the end will work for good. It will bring good. Now, how can that happen? I mean, how can everything that happens in my life, the good... The bad 
and the ugly. How can all of those things bring good? Here's how. Because God is a good God. In John chapter 10, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In Acts 10, there's a verse that is describing Jesus. And it says this, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good. In other words, Jesus' entire life was a picture of God's goodness. Now, it's often hard for us to see the goodness of God during the times of tragedy, during the times of difficulty, and and as we look at the evilness in this world. And sometimes it seems like the goodness of God is hidden. Even Jesus had a problem with this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the Father took the most horrific thing that has ever happened in human history, and he brought about immense good from that horrific event. He brought about the salvation of all those who believe. You see, if the Father can bring about good, through the death of his son, then the father can bring about good through anything and everything that happens in our life. And so are you going through difficulties right now? Does it seem like life is is throwing you a curveball? Is someone giving you a bum deal? Well, I want you to know this morning that God's goodness will follow you if you are his child. The good shepherd will ultimately bring about good from anything and everything that happens in your life, if you know Him and you're following His plan for your life. So God's goodness is watching over you. Hear me. If I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that anything that happens to me, anything that happens to my family, anything that happens in human history, God says he's going to bring about good for those who love him. Then I can go through even the difficulties of life without stress, knowing God's going to take the bad and turn it into good. God's goodness is watching over me. The second thing I need to know is this. God's grace is working in me. Notice what this verse says. Surely mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, I want you to listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in in Isaiah 60. He said, I will have mercy on you through my grace. In other words, Isaiah was saying that grace is the conduit through which mercy travels. God expresses his grace to us through his mercy. Now, what is grace? Someone defined grace this way. They said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is all God is able to do for us because of what Christ has already done for us. You see, grace tells us that God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve? God gives us what we need. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is the flip side of grace. Mercy is grace in action. Mercy is God's undeserved love bestowed upon us. And each and every one of us need mercy. Why? Because we're not perfect. 
We're imperfect. We stumble, we fall, we blow it, we make mistakes. The very best that we can bring to the table is not good enough for a perfect God. And because of that, you and I need mercy. We need mercy now. And we need mercy in the future. Because hear me, in the future you're going to sin. So in the future, it's not only God's goodness that is following you. It's God's mercy that is following you because you need His forgiveness. You need His pardon. You need His healing. And when you begin to understand God's grace and God's mercy, it will change your life. Understand, it isn't God's desire to get even with you when you blow it. It's not God's desire to punish you when you disobey Him. His desire is to shower His forgiveness upon you. I want you to listen to these verses. And if you can, open up your Bible because you're going to want to mark these verses. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 2. I'm not going to read all of these verses. I'm going to read parts of it. But I want you to listen carefully To what David said. David said, I will not forget the glorious things that God does for me. And I hope you don't either. Listen to what he says. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness. He fills my life with good things. He is merciful and tender toward those who don't. Deserve it. He is slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins. For his mercy is as great as the height of the heavens. He is like a father to us. Tender, sympathetic to those who reverence him. He forgives how many of our sins? What does it say? He forgives all of our sins. Aren't you glad? The very worst, the most vile, the most wicked things you have done. He forgives all your sins. He ransoms us from where? Hell. He ransoms us from where? Hell. He ransoms us from where? You see, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. The question isn't, how can a good God send anyone to hell? The question is, how can a good God let anyone into heaven? But he does because he has ransomed us. He has paid the price for our sins so that we don't have to go to hell. He is merciful toward who? He's merciful toward those who don't deserve it. And you know who that is? It's you. It's me. He's merciful toward people who don't deserve his mercy. And he never does what? He never bears a grudge. Have you ever borne a grudge? Have you ever held on to a grudge? Probably all of us have. But God doesn't. He doesn't hold on to a grudge. When you mess up, God doesn't say, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to get you. When you least expect it. God doesn't say, I saw what you did and paybacks are tough. God doesn't do that. God doesn't hold a grudge. And he says his mercy is higher than what? His mercy is higher than the heavens. 
Oh, goodness. His mercy is incredible. And the good news is, His mercy is always available to us. In Hebrews 4, it says this, We can come before God's throne where we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. God's got a 24-hour hotline where we can come to Him and we can seek mercy and grace anytime we need it. God's mercy and God's grace is available for whoever, whenever, for whatever. And notice, the Bible says just like goodness follows us, God's mercy is following us through life. God's goodness and mercy are, are like a parent who follows a child behind, picking up the mess they make. Last night, Sherry and I were babysitting Gracelyn, our granddaughter. And, and when we got home, Gracelyn went to a place in our family room where we have some toys that we've got for her. And it's behind a chair there. And she went there and she just started throwing those toys around. And Poppy didn't say, Gracelyn, what are you doing? Throwing toys around. Making a mess. I didn't do that. You know why? Little girls make messes. Little boys make messes. That's what they do. But I was there picking up the mess behind her. Some of you will say, well, you were enabling her. No more than God enables you. Because you see, just as little boys and little girls make messes, big boys and big girls make messes, don't we? We sin. We blow it. We mess up. We screw up life big time. And you know what God does? His mercy is there following us through life. And when we mess up and when we blow it, He is picking us up and picking up our messes and restoring us. Isn't that good news? God's goodness is following us through life. God's mercy is following us through life. And how can we be sure? I can tell you why. Because God is a God who cannot Lie. The Bible says that. He cannot lie. And notice what it says here. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. You see, all too often we get worked up and worried over the future because we start what ifing and just supposing. Have you ever done that? Well, what if God? Or just suppose God. Can I tell you what to do with your what ifs? Stop it. <laughs> Cut it out. Surely goodness and surely mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life until you breathe your last breath. God's goodness is going to be following you. And God says all things are going to work together for good to those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. And he says that his mercy is going to follow you. And the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And I am so glad. God's goodness is watching over us. God's grace is working in us. But there's a third thing here, and that's this. God's glory is waiting for me. Notice what David says. He said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that's one of the most important connections we discover in the Bible because it connects yesterday and today with tomorrow. God is saying here that, that I've got this great life planned for you. 
And my goodness is going to follow you as you go through life. All things are going to work together for good if you love me. And my mercy is going to follow you. And when you mess up and when you blow it, my mercy and my grace is never going to give up on you. But then he says, but that's not the end. It gets better. God says, I've got heaven in store for you. The best is yet to come. Now hear me. I don't know a lot about death. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going to die. But I do know what happens to me after I die. Let me say that again. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know where. But I do know that when it happens, I know what's going to happen to me. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We know that our body will be destroyed. But when that happens... God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. Now, how long will forever last? Forever. Now, that's a concept that's difficult for us to understand, isn't it? The national debt of the United States is over $17 trillion. How can you get in debt that far? I don't know. But it's over $17 trillion. That's a whole lot. That's a 17 with 12 zeros. Now think about 17 trillion years. 17 trillion years is not even a second in eternity. We're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever. Someday your body's going to die, but you aren't. Someday this body is going to come to an end, but you're not. You see, each and every one of us are going to live forever in one of two places. We're going to live forever in heaven, the place God created for us, or we're going to live in a place called hell, the place we choose if we reject his love. Every one of us are going to spend eternity in one of those two places. Now, as Christians, we have heaven to look forward to. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 8. Paul says, we look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies. We are not afraid, but are quite content to die, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, now notice two words there. Paul said, we're not afraid... We're content to die. Paul said, you don't have to face death fearful. May I say to you, look at me. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. Now, if you tell me, Rocky, you're going to die this way, I might get afraid of the way I'm going to die. I may not want to experience it that way. But I'm not afraid of death because I know what's going to happen. The Apostle Paul said, I am perfectly content to die. In other words, there is nothing in this world that I am holding on to so tight that I'm not willing to turn loose of because there is something better for me to look forward to. You see, for a believer, death is a promotion. For us, it's better to die because better things lie ahead. We don't know everything about heaven, but what we do know is that it's going to be awesome. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21. 
God said he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. All of that is gone forever. In other words, God says that in heaven there's going to be no hurt. There's going to be no fear. There's going to be no depression. There's going to be no bad things. All of that is going to be disappeared. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been hurt before? How many of you have been through pain? How many of you have gone through some depression in your life? In the Bible, it says that we will never have that anymore in heaven. I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me a little homesick. It kind of makes me say, bring the bus on, Lord. I'm kind of ready for this place. I heard about a woman who went to the doctor and she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She had three months to live. She was a believer. And so when she left the doctor's office, she called her pastor. They scheduled a meeting so that she could prepare her funeral. And they went over the, the songs that she wanted sung, the, the scriptures that she wanted read, things like that. She, she told her pastor the dress she wanted to be buried in. She, she told the pastor she wanted to be buried, the casket she wanted to have in the casket, her favorite Bible. They had worked through every detail and pastor thought it was over and he was getting ready to leave. And she said, oh yeah, one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor looked at her with a puzzled look and said, a fork in your right hand. Why? And she said, well, one of my favorite parts of church life is when we get together for potluck dinners. And whenever we have potluck dinners and everybody's cooking their, their favorite recipes, we're, we're all eating all these wonderful foods and, and we've, we've stuffed ourselves on the main course and, you know, we're putting up our plates and stuff. And, and she said, inevitably, one of my friends will turn to me and said, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And then I know that banana pudding is on the way. Chocolate cake is on the way. Pecan pie is on the way. And when people pass by my casket, I want them to see that the best is yet to come. And so she died. And they were having the viewing for all of the family, all of the friends. And when they would walk by, they would talk about her pretty dress and how she looked all natural. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and they would talk about her holding her favorite Bible. And then they would see the fork. <laughs> and they would have this puzzled look on their faces. And the pastor would laugh and say, let me tell you about the fork. And then when he did the funeral service, he talked about how we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he talked about how the best is yet to come. And dear friend, I want you to hear me. Regardless of how good we've got it here on this earth, if we are children of the living God, the best is yet to come. But the question we need to ask is this, who will go to heaven? Is everybody going to be there? Because that's what many people in our society believe today. They believe everybody is going to heaven, or, or at least most people are going to heaven. It's only the very worst people, the terrorists and the mass murderers and the child abusers, people like that that are going to go to hell. Everybody else will go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that only those who are children of God will go to heaven. Only those who have been born into his family. 
You see, the Bible teaches that everybody was created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. The only way that we become a child of God is to be born into God's family. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 1. He said, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you're trusting him. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. Even though it may be tough down here for a while, we should be filled with joy. Why? Because we got something far greater to look forward to. Those of us who have placed our trust in him. Notice what it says here. Whose responsibility is it to get me safe to heaven? Is it my responsibility? No. It's God's responsibility. My responsibility is to trust and obey. Trust and obey. That's what I'm supposed to do. God's the one who is responsible for making sure that I get to heaven safely. So be glad. We've got a great home to look forward to. And, and no matter how long we live here on this earth, it may be 80 or 90 or 100 years you're going to spend eternity in heaven if you're a child of God. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, you are only visitors here. Your real home is in heaven. And so if we're visitors here, this isn't our home. Our home is in heaven. Then it's foolish to live our lives acquiring and accumulating and getting. You see, Peter is saying, don't invest your life for the things of this world. Instead, invest your life in eternal things. Invest your life preparing for heaven. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you sure you're going to go there? I mean, 100% sure. I mean, of all the things that you need to be sure about, this would be number one, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, if, if I'm not quite sure I'm going the speed limit... What's the worst that could happen? Ticket. It's bad news, but it's not horrific news. There are a lot of things in life that, that you know, it's bad, but, but let me tell you, if I'm not sure about where I'm going to spend eternity, then I better make sure. Because eternity hinges on it. And there's some of you here today that, that if you ask that question, do you know 100% for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? You're going to say something like this, well, I sure hope so. I think so. I believe so. You may even say, man, I'm 99% sure that I am. Well, I don't want to be 99% sure. I want to be 100% certain. This is something you, you don't want to gamble on. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. I'm going to heaven. But it's not because I deserve it. It's because I'm God's child. When he called, I heard his voice and I responded. 
When His Spirit convicted me of my sin, I confessed that sin. When His Spirit opened my eyes to the reality that my best would never be good enough, I trusted Jesus' death to save me. And I just gave Him my life. I didn't understand all that that entailed. I didn't know all that it meant, but I knew that if He was God and He loved me, His plan for my life was far better than my plan for my life. Now I was going to trust Him. So I heard His voice, I listened, and I followed. How about you? When His Spirit convicted you, did you confess your sins or did you make excuses? When His Spirit told you that your best was not good enough, did you say, but I'm better than? Or did you humble yourself before an almighty God, confessing your sin, trusting Jesus alone to save you, surrendering your life to His control? If you're here today and you're not 100% certain that you've done that, then I want to encourage you to do that today. Because understand, unless you're a child of God, the promise that God's goodness will follow you isn't for you. Unless you're a child of God, God's promise that His mercy will follow you. Unless you're a child of God, His promise that you will dwell in His house forever, it's not for you. It's only for His children. So if you're here and you don't know with 100% certainty that you're his child, let's make sure today. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, here's what I want you to do. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I don't know for certain, but I want to know for certain. And you're willing to humble yourself before God and give your life to him. I want you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God. I know that I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. I've been my own boss. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be my boss. I want you to be. God, I know you love me. You sent your son to die in my place. Today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. I know my best will not be good enough. It's only Jesus. Today, I'm giving my life to you. From this point on, I want to follow you. Live for you serve you. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.